This is me, nigga. You are now rocking with the super califragilistic expiala dope shit. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast, featuring on the verge artists, established influencers, and people from all walks of life doing dope shit. With your host Emiliano Styles. Welcome to another episode, our second episode of Super Califragilistic Expiala Dope Shit, and who I have today. Special guest appearance, Chicago's own, Ashley Christman. All right, so Ashley Christman is a film producer from the south side of Chicago. She completed her undergraduate studies at Vandy, Vanderbilt University, and she received her MFA in film and television production from USC. Her goal is to shed a different light on the everyday representation of minorities and to find new and innovative ways to bridge the gap between community activism and filmmaking. Chrisman was a 2016 film independent project involved producing fellow. She currently resides in Los Angeles and works at Women in Film, an organization that advocates for gender parity in the entertainment industry. All right, that's it. That's just a little tip of the iceberg. That's her. Short bio. Right, short. That's the short version. <laughs> so what I like to do just to start off the interview, kind of like an icebreaker, is a rapid fire segment. So I just going to say two different random things or related things, and I want you to tell me which one you prefer and give zero explanation. I don't give any explanation at all. Like how rapid are we? Because this is like, I'm nervous. I mean, it's rapid in the sense that... <laughs> After you answer one, I'm going on to the next one. Are you ready? Yes. Martin or Malcolm? Malcolm. Rihanna or Beyonce? Beyonce. Creation or evolution? Creation. Android or Apple? Apple. Brutal honesty or white lies? Brutal honesty. Kobe or LeBron? I'm going to go LeBron. Career or family? Family. Marriage or long-term commitment? Neither. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, marriage. Pac or Biggie? Pac. J. Cole or Kendrick? Let's go with Cole. Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. <laughs> Maxwell or D'Angelo? Maxwell. Tyler Perry or Lee Daniels? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Neither. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you can't pass, man. I'll go with Lee Daniels. Okay. Sugar on grits or salt on grits? Sugar. <laughs> HBO or Showtime? HBO. The Wire or Breaking Bad? The Wire. Autumn or Summer? Autumn. All right, so this is Ashley. I met you through Timby. Yes. Timby Banks, my homie from Harlem World. And I remember she used to talk about you. She was like, you know, she was like, you should meet my friend Ashley because she used to like name drop before I met any of y'all. Like, she's a name drop Evita, she's a name drop Sean, and then she's always been like, when I first got out here, like, she was like, just taking me around and making me a adopted son of the USC family. Aw, yay! <laughs> Welcome! Yeah, so, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is, like how we were talking about earlier, just like, I was saying how there's two extremes of podcasts that I've been listening to, either they're dealing with famous people or celebrities, or... They're really well produced and it sounds like an audio TV show. But I, I wanted to kind of have to interview people who are on the verge, who are not quite, you know, in in all of that famous hemisphere, but who I are on the verge. Right, right. People who are <laughs> approaching their breakthroughs, just had a breakthrough or things like that. Because I feel like just because you don't have 200,000 social media followers, that doesn't mean that your experience isn't valid and what your insight isn't valid. You still have experience that can share and inspire and motivate others. So um, first question, what is the dopest thing that you've done up to this point? I mean, I ain't popped off yet, but I've done a lot of dope shit. So (laughs) two things. One, um, I was a delegate for the state of Illinois for the 2012 presidential election. Wow. Which was really dope. 
And then um, recently I got to sit down and interview two of my idols. Well, not idols, but two of my favorites. Um, right. Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. So, like, that was pretty dope. Yeah. And, like, how were they in, in, in person? Like, because it was, like, at a press junket, right? Yeah, but we had our own private room. So it was, like, really nice. They were, like, your auntie and uncle for real. Like, we started talking about barbecue and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was fun, yeah. And where where was it? When did you see Fences? Did you, like, see it, like, the day before? Yeah. You seen it just the day before, so it was, like, fresh in your mind. To right. Talk to who is, like, a person that you look up to who inspires you? Like, do you have a mentor? Uh, I mean, I have a couple of mentors, but I feel like I took that question as, like, who do I want my career to emulate? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> and I would say Britt Marling. You know her? You, did you watch The OA on Netflix? I didn't watch it yet. I, I was on 3%. Either. I was watching 3%. <laughs> good, I'll get huh? to that one next. But I, I really love 3%. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch it this weekend. But uh, she's great. Um, But yeah. And what, what about her that you uh, admire? I just think she's young and she does like a lot of like weird different stuff. And it's almost like she don't have to wait for somebody to give her opportunity. It's the same thing with... Um, well, not the same, but like Donald Glover, who does like weird stuff, and he like does whatever he wants to do. I love that. I talked about where you're from. You're from Chicago. Yes. Like what part of Chicago? Southside. Southside. Are we are we naming streets? Because uh, that's how you really know someone's from somewhere is when they name the street. I grew up on. First of all, <laughs> it's not like New York where it's like what what one twenty fifth or whatever. Yeah. I grew up on 89th in Michigan. Which is on the south side, right off the Dan Ryan, off the 87th Street exit. Right y- y'all know where that is, Chicago people? Right. <laughs> <laughs> south side, all day, every day. And you're your only child? I am my only child. I'm not that explains living. a whole lot. What does it explain? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> nah, it's like, you make. I feel like you make friends easily. But wouldn't the only child not make friends? Nah, because the only child, they, they got to depend on friends to have that companionship. Oh, so, yeah. So but I don't really people, like people. You say that, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that you don't get along with people. So that's cool. And uh, so tell me a little bit about your upbringing, your education, like. The long bio. I was born in Oakland. Were you born in Oakland? I was Oakland? born in Oakland. Oh, I'm getting Ashley trivia. Yeah. So I was born in Oakland, moved to Chicago when I was like four, four or five, and then went to Catholic school my whole like elementary school life. Well, grammar school is what we call it in Chicago. Yeah, I went to Catholic school, grew up single parent. My mom raised me. My dad was around, but like my mom mostly raised me. And then high school, I went to what's called a selective enrollment school, meaning that you have to test to get in um, and get a certain score and be smart or whatever. Um, but it was in the hood. Like my school was in Roseland, which is like one of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago. What makes it bad? It's just violent. It's just like a lot of stuff going on there. But it's like this nice campus in the middle of Roseland. Like we had a lake, we had geese. Like <laughs> that sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was cool. Um, and then I went to Vanderbilt for undergrad, and then USC for grad school. What made you choose Vanderbilt? Um, so it's really weird because like I really didn't do a lot of research to go to college. I was like, I knew I was gifted, so I knew I was gonna get in somewhere. My mom went to Smith College, um, which is like an elite school, and I was yeah. like, oh well, like if anything fails, I'm going to Smith College. So she, I applied to all the schools that she applied to when she went to college. I got into Vanderbilt, and I have family in Vanderbilt. I mean, in Nashville. And it's like a more, it's, a, it's close to home. It doesn't get too cold, like all those things. And so I decided to go there. And then when I visited, I was like, I'm home. And, and it was like Tennessee State and Fist were right around the corner. Hold on, what was the, what was the school? T, that's for Tennessee. Yes, <laughs> S-T-A-T-E-U-University-T-S-U. Yes. I'm, a, I'm an alumni, if you couldn't tell. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, that part. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Tennessee State and Fitz were right around the corner. Like, Fitz was another school I looked at. But I was like, Vanderbilt's going to pay for me to go there. Like, hey, what's up? You know? Since you went to Vandy, what was that like? Like, because the school that you came from 
in Chicago, I'm sure the demographics were a lot different from Vandy. Oh my God. So was, how did you handle that transition? It was such a culture shock because I I never had white friends growing up. My high school was like 70% black, 30% Mexican. And it was like one Asian person and one white person in my class. Well, not even in my class. One white person in my class. The Asian person just went to the school. So it was like not very diverse. Um, Vanderbilt was a culture shock. And it was also like super competitive because our school was for smart kids, but smart kids in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, you know, versus like people that go to elite boarding schools who are like bred to do trigonometry in their sleep. Yeah. You know, it's very different. Yeah. Um, it's just different. Definitely a culture shock. It took me a while to like adjust. And do you have uh, an anecdote? of a transitional thing that happened that made you be like, okay, yeah, I'm in a different world. I don't have like one anecdote. Literally waking up and like walking on campus was like, I am in a different world. Like the way people talk, when people talk about like their vacations and like their vacation homes and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I'm like, oh my God, what have I got myself into? But um, yeah, I don't have like one specific anecdote that I could think of. Just the entire experience was like... Like the environment just hit you like, yeah. I'm somewhere new. You went to Vandy, then you went to USC. What made you choose USC? I got in. <laughs> I like, when you get into the number one film school, you can't say no, so... Hold up. So, when did you realize that you wanted to be on some, be a producer? I, I didn't want to be a producer. So, I went to... I've always been in the arts. So theater, I have a theater background. So all throughout high school, I did Gallery 37. I did independent theater productions through different performance companies in Chicago. And then went to Vanderbilt. Um, I was a part of this organization called Rhythm and Roots Performance Company. Um, so I was on stage. Theater is like my first love. I'm like all about it. Um, and then I took a film class my junior year. I was going to Vanderbilt to be a veterinarian. Either a veterinarian or a therapist. Really? Yes. And you don't have any pets. Where are your pets? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a dog in Chicago. Oh, do you? Yeah. What type of dog? He's a Bichon Poodle mix. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I was either going to be a veterinarian or a therapist. And so I was taking those classes to be able to, to go to school after but I took a film class my junior year, and I was like, hmm, maybe I can make a living, like, behind the camera. And so, because I, I had directed theater as well. And so I was like, well, it's really no money in theater, so let me make some money. You know, this is pre-Hamilton, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I can, like, make some money as a director in film. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to do commercials, which was, like, quick turnaround, things like that. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll do it. And then I rushed and I, d I added that as a major, finished with a double major from Vandy on time. Did you have a favorite theater production that you did that really stands out? That I did? Yeah. So Rhythm and Roots, we did our own. So it was all original pieces? It was all original. Okay. It was dance and. So your piece, what was the synopsis? So each year was something different. Like a, a memorable one would be we did this it's sort of like a black history story, okay. but it was told through the eyes of a building. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's called Through the Walls, right? Maybe. I hope that's what it's called. <laughs> Cindy, don't kill me. <laughs> um, yes, Cindy, whoever you are. But um, yeah, it was told through the eyes of a building that had been through these different eras of time. Um, but it started on a slave ship and then went through like, you know, the Great Depression and then civil rights movement, just like a bunch of different times in the world. Okay, yeah. So that was like, and then I wrote a lot of it. So it was like really good. But then one thing that I directed was I directed a production of The Bluest Eye um, through this thing that I sort of helped with um, called the Black Art Series. Okay. And so we, we brought Black Arts to Vanderbilt. Um, which was great. My friend Tremaine started it. That's dope. And, and doing the bluest eye because Toni Morris's writing is so... Yeah, but it's, it was adapted into a stage play by Lydia Diamond, I believe her name is. And it was great. Like, the, the I saw the first production of it in Chicago. 
um, first ever on stage, and it was great. So you was on to the theater. So tell me about your USC producing experience. Oh, my God. I got into USC as a director. Like, my entire application was like, I'm a director. This is what I want to do. I want to make black stories or, like, stories about minorities, stories about women. This is what I want to do. And I got in. I got to USC. I took my first class. My first semester, I was ready to drop out. Because I'm like, I want to write these stories. And all my professors are like, yeah, no. Mm, I don't think so. You know? And it was, like, disheartening. Like, very discouraging. I didn't feel supported as an artist. Especially coming from, like, such a supportive environment previously. Where they're like, yeah, just do it. Like, you got it. Whatever. Um, to USC where they're like, yeah, no. That's not good enough. I'm like, the fuck? Did you feel like their opinions were too subjective? Or what, what were their main reasons for not supporting Limited. You? They were just limited. Like, Issa w- wasn't around. Donald Glover wasn't around. You know, like, they, they don't see these... They didn't know of these stories. They didn't think that these things were real or marketable. That's so interesting, because I always feel like in this business and entertainment, you always have to have some type of reference. Right. So... So now, like, the more shows and movies that are coming out and that are lucrative, now we can use them as a reference. Yes. It's like, you it's know, disgusting. I'm working on this. Da, da, da. It's like, oh, I don't know. But now, we can go like, you know, like, Hidden Figures. Oh, you know, like, Atlanta. Right. Oh, you know, like, so now we have more references to stories that are more unique and not right. seen as much. The thing is, like, nobody wants to take a chance with their money, which is understandable, right? Because, yeah. like, what are your comps? Like, what are comparable movies that have that are in your budget range that can be made and I can make my money back. There were no stories like that when I was at USC. Instead of bumping my head up against the wall and like constantly fighting and arguing, I'm like, I'm spending all this money to go to the school. I'm going to be a producer, which is also something that I'm good at, something that I enjoy. Came out as a producer. Producing is probably the third least thing that I like doing. And it's the first thing I don't like. I don't like waiting in line at the post office. Oh my God. Uh-huh. And I would say another one is like taking out the trash, then producing is probably yeah. number three. It's it's a special skill. Producing, I mean, I feel like person. when I do it, it's it's always as a me. It's always as out of necessity, not like I want to do. Right. It. What what's the name of that organization when y'all are doing the screenings at USC? AACS, African American Cinema Society. So how did you get involved with that? Is that where you met? Most of the the you know filmmakers of color at USC. No, um, I met black people in the courtyard of okay. USC. My semester, where it was five black people out of sixty. Whoa! And we were all women. Really? Yes. Who were the, who were the fab five? It was Timby. Well, it was me first. Uh-huh. <laughs> then Timby, Ketia, Tierney, and Angie. I'm very black. Like, I'm very black. Are like, you? <laughs> I thought that was a tan. <laughs> I, went to, I went to Vandy, and, like, I have a very diverse group of friends that I was able to graduate with. And But um, at USC, especially in that environment where you don't feel supported as an artist, you don't feel supported. Like, you don't feel like these people get the stories that you want to tell. Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was important to build a community of, like, black people i started like having stuff at my house for like black people to come over there was this group called aac african-american cinema society was started by john singleton and it had become defunct like no one knew what happened who ran it like then we found a girl who ran it and we basically reactivated it so it was me Stephen love and timby Oh, y'all some pioneers and some trailblazers. We out here trying, man. We yeah, we out here trying. And I like the what, what you're doing um, as far as like a sense of community, uh, having stuff in your house or whatnot. Because like I do call you, you know, I have this inside joke. Like I call Ashley Auntie Auntie Ash. Yes, and you so, Uncle Emil. And so. I'm Uncle Emil, and I'm an uncle. I'm an uncle five times over. So because actually, like my aunt Pat. She used to always hold events, and she like very endearing. But then she was like kind of hardcore, like she didn't take no mess. But she was like the life of the party, and she like cook, always cooking. So like I think that is a part of this like black culture how we have these matriarchs in our family who we look to to bring people together 
so it's dope that you have that sense of community and like always bringing people out and people can meet other people so that was my thing too it was like i felt like when i got to la i would literally ask people where the black people at like that was where the black people at what do you do for fun where do you hang out i would ask locals that and it's like oh we'd be at the house like kickbacks and stuff like that it's no like at the time there was no like black central hangout place and it's like coming from chicago you know we might hate to admit it but chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the country and it's like the south side is black people the east side is mexicans the north side is white people and so i was used to that and i'm used to being able to say oh this weekend we at this place next weekend we at that place and there was nothing like that when i got out here so i was like oh y'all come over my house we're gonna have some tacos and play games and drink and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Coming from New York, I did feel like you knew where to go. Right. You know, if you want to have this certain type of experience, you go to Harlem. If you want to have this type of experience, you go to Lower East Side, go to Williamsburg. So when I first moved out to L.A., I was like that, too. I was like, yo, where is... Where are we at? Where, where are we at? And even even with that, it's like, where are the like minds? Like, I was going to... every When I first got out here, I went to everything. Like, like you want to go here? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't know what was what. But um, that's dope that you were able to, like get the people together and stuff. And I mean, let me be clear, it's not like I only like black people because like <laughs> my closest friends, I have like very close friends that are not black mm-hmm. and they come, but it's just like a matter of like being comfortable with who I am and like I'm a creator mm-hmm. and I'm a woman and I do this, you know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah. it's important to have, like you said, like like-minded people around you at all times. And let's talk about your profession and passion. So as a producer, I think it's a term that people who are not in entertainment, they hear, but they don't really understand. So can you like define what a producer is? Your guess is as good as mine. Like <laughs> literally, <laughs> a producer is whatever the production needs, right? right? So it just depends. Like I'm a different thing for every film that I work on. A general way of thinking of it is like a producer makes the film happen. So that can be a different different ways. It could be you find the money, you find the resources to make the film, um, but you basically are the glue that makes everything come together. So I more so focus on like physical production. So I'm the one that's doing permits and getting locations and, and booking talent and things like that. Um, and then there's also the creative side of it where it's like you find a project and you give notes on it, you, you're really attached to it, you want to make it happen, so you give notes, then it gets to a place where you can actually make it, and then you go out and make it happen. You definitely have that mind, because I remember I was in talks to do a music video, and I was like, oh, the budget is this, I don't know, da 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 and you were like, email, that sounds like something you could buy stuff and return <laughs> right after the shoot. Yeah. So yeah, you could definitely make it happen, so that is definitely a gift that you have be able to listen and be able to figure out ways to make it happen like what what was that like when you was like i'm going to be a producer honestly it was like getting into usc that was like where i was like i was like well i got in now i guess i gotta do that like you know what i mean so so i was googling you (laughs) (laughs) and the project involved was castor oil right yes can you tell me about that project involved experience? Because, well, let's give them a brief. What? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what is project involved? A one-liner would be like, it's film independence um, sort of diversity fellowship program where you get to make a film with other like-minded, diverse people. There are six people in like each field. So it's like six producers, six directors, six editors, six you know, yeah, of each person. Right. Um, and so you get together and you make a film. And it's it's a, such an amazing learning experience because you sort of get to pick who you want to work with, but it doesn't always work out that way. And so, yeah. And on the board of directors, isn't it like, it's like Forrest Whitaker's on it still? And... Oh yeah, they have a huge, like their board of directors is like yeah. a big deal. Do you get to interact with them at all? They come like by, but... No, not the board of directors, but we definitely had guest speakers that came in. Like we had Bradford Young come in, who was amazing. Justin Simeon, who did Dear White People. Bradford Young, he just recently shot Arrival, He did Arrival. Yeah, so Castor Oil was was dope. And 
and it was funny because I knew people who were going to the screenings, uh-huh. and it was like, "Oh, Emil, we saw your name in the credits," and I was like, "What?" Because you know, I did some. You know, I was privileged enough to do a little still set photography. And you came on on a day, honey. It was a day that day. Yes, it was. <laughs> I was over there walking on eggshells, like. Uh... So can what you stop? Crazy. Can you stop taking photos right now? Nah, nobody said that. Oh, I was like, she said that to you. <laughs> nah, but oh, that was goodness. cool because I was like, you could tell that it's another filmmaker going to see a movie because a lot of people don't watch credits. Right. But it was like. A, Probably like 10 people hit me up like, yo, what's all your name and your credit? I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool that y'all looking at. So it's Castor Oil, Doors. Doors is a film that you did with. Do you remember, what are all the, all the films you've done with Timby? We... If you did Doors with her. She directed Doors when I produced it. But like she also had her hand in producing as well because she's a producer. We did this project called Black Twitter Date together. Yeah, let's talk about Lally. that too. If you haven't seen that, it has over a million views, and it's this very witty and funny and engaging story. So it's basically, well, I guess you should. You could tell them. Oh, okay. It's basically. Like, shout out to Blavity because they was the masterminds and Xavier. So it was directed by this guy, Xavier. It's basically like two black people go on a date and like black Twitter weighs in on it and they're like commenting on every little thing, like her idea. dress, like, you know, and idea. it's like the memes that you see, like the crying Jordan and like yeah, all that yeah. stuff. So, yeah. That was such a good idea. So how did you get in touch with Blavity? Um, through Xavier. So Xavier brought Sambina on as producer. So Xavier went to USC? Xavier went to USC. Got it. See, it's that USC. And I have a bruh, Timby and our deltas. And we had that that connection. And so, um, yeah, he he brought us on as producers. Uh, We made the project happen. It was great. So you did that. And then uh, now you're doing Between Two Sisters. Yes. You and Timby. So how did that come come about with you wanting to do a movie review show or TV review show? Well, so we do it anyway, right? So like we would get like a group of people together. We go to the movies and then we like stand in the lobby and like talk about it for hours and then like go out to eat and keep talking about it. We were already doing it. And then... Like, a couple people have been like, y'all should make a show. Y'all should do this at the show. Let's do it, like, on YouTube. And we're like, yeah, we're down. But then um, after the Black Twitter date situation, um, they were like, do you guys have any other ideas for stuff? We're trying to do original content. We pitched them that idea. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's shoot a pilot. And then we shot the pilot. And then the rest is history. Our first one was the, The Lobster. And it was like a 10 minute episode oh, yeah. I didn't of see us reviewing one. the lobster. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't released. Oh, okay. Like... Okay. Okay. I was saying, <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I was a Between Two Sisters fan and yes. seen no. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't released. But oh, yeah, it okay, was like, okay. it was just a show that we know what we're talking about. Got it. Got and it. And it's like, it's good to see like your homegirl talking about a movie who also knows how to make movies. And she, because people sometimes think that it's just so easy or. They don't know what all goes into making a film. And so being able to talk about it from a filmmaker's perspective as well as like, we just show homegirls from Harlem and Chicago, you know, it's great. Yeah, what I also like about your reviews is that you break it down into segments. How was the writing? How were the performances? How was the direction? So I think that's that's dope. I don't read comments online. Uh Do you read the comments? Yes. Because I feel like people would think that because in the manner of which y'all speak, because y'all are like some homies, I don't think they would anticipate that y'all are both have your master, your MFAs from USC. Yeah. So I think that's a dope way to to show like that y'all knowledgeable about something on that level and y'all educated with it. But I'm still your homegirl right. from Chicago. I'm still your homegirl from Harlem and whatever, whatever. So I, I like, I really like that uh, portion of it. That's one thing that we like. Like, we were trying to go for that. It's like, because mm-hmm. sometimes film stuff can be so pretentious. And it's like, people, my mama goes to the movies to have a good time. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's like, my friends go to the movies and be like, yeah, I liked it. It right. was entertaining. Yeah. You know? And it's like, don't nobody want to hear you talk about some terms that they can't even pronounce. Right, but, right, right. you know, let's talk about it. As like a viewer, being a filmmaker informs our opinion. Let's say, do you have a mentee? No. So, if... Someone was going to come under your wing or wanted to come to you and ask you, like, 
how do I become a producer? What would the steps that you, what steps would you tell them to take? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. I would say make friends with writers and directors. That's step number one. Okay. Um, once you make these friends, your writer friends are going to want you to give notes. So you give them notes on the scripts. And if you find a project that you really like, then you attach yourself to it. You option it. You can option it for a dollar. And then you make it. <laughs> you make it. Make it happen. Um, that's how you, you can do make it. it. Also, I would say, like, talk to as many people as possible. And it's like, just talk to people and ask questions and pick people's brains um, mm-hmm. so that you know how to do it. Because it's like, there are so many people that didn't go to film school that are successful producers. It's just like trial and error. And you need to be in a space to be able to be okay with failing um, and going from there. So... What are some characteristics that, that would make a good producer? Good personality. Uh, um, being able to, because that's how you get stuff, right? Because like if you're just starting out, you're not going to have a million dollar budget. So it's like you got to be able to talk to people and finesse your way into them donating food for your entire crew for be, five days. Be resourceful. Yeah. yeah. You got to be resourceful. You got to have that good personality um, to be able to get stuff done. You know, I, I, I heard a, when I was... Just starting in post production, working in TV in New York, I remember I used to just be like ear hustling and talking to everybody in the office because it was like so many shows going on at once. And I remember one of the the producers, she would call this venue, I think like maybe three, four times a day. And she called until she got an answer. And then I and I was like, I was like, so I like tell me about like you just really needed that venue she was like well that was the that was the the, EP, the executive producer's first choice but i was like communication can't exist on one way so it's like until i get a no or a yes then I'm, i haven't been communicating yeah so she had to keep on calling the venue until it made it happen so i was like oh, okay that's a good like mindset to have as a producer is to make sure even if they say no, you need to hear them give you a no. And if they yeah. say yeah, you know what I mean? Communicating, definitely yeah. persistence for sure. Persistence, yes. It's like, I'm going to keep asking you. And then sometimes people say this isn't like a good time for me. I can do it later. Mm-hmm. If you tell me later, I'm going to keep hitting you up every single time until you tell me no. Mm-hmm. If I have 17 projects and you tell me not right now, hit me up next time. Next time you're on my list and I'm going to hit you up every mm-hmm. time. You got to be organized and you got to be able to, there's like a, you need to be able to balance, number one, a lot of tasks. So it's like a lot of things that you have to do and pull together to make any project go. Mm. And then you also have to manage personalities. So like your director is like a little bitty baby and you have to like hold their hand with everything and just make sure that you support them. Mm-hmm. Um and then your DP is going to be like a whole different story and they have a different personality. If you have co-producers, they have their own personalities. And then it's like you got crew, you got actors who like need whatever they need. And so you as a producer, people are always going to come to you for these things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you got to you got to balance it and be able to keep all the balls in the air and not drop any. Got it. Now, we mentioned like Blavity, and you got all these millions of views with Black Twitter Day. I feel like sometimes people will put their films in the film festival. Sometimes they'll just put them online. Sometimes yeah. they'll just put them on Facebook. Sometimes they'll just put them on Instagram. So what do you think about how people use social media in filmmaking and I hate social media so much. Like, you know, like, I love how you, when you intro, you were like, oh, you know, you might not have 500,000 followers or whatever. And I'm like, I will never have 500,000 followers because I don't want people in my business like that. My page is private right now, you know? So it's like, everybody who follows me is someone I know. Okay, <laughs> right, right. So I You about that work. Yeah, like, I personally am not a big social media person. Mm-hmm. That said, social media can absolutely propel you forward. Um, I think that it gets you a lot of access. Um, Xavier is a great example of that. He's the filmmaker that, he's the director that did um, Black Twitter Day. He directed it. Right. And he has a huge social media following and it grants him access like we were just talking about. It it grants him access to be able to do certain things. Um, And it gets eyeballs on your work. Uh, People want to see what you're doing. People want to see 
those things. And it's like strangers in Idaho. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. it gets it gets you eyeballs, but I'm not about that life. But it's it's definitely helpful. And so I can never not acknowledge that. You know, like I feel like my Facebook, like people I have more people on Facebook than like Instagram, which I'm about to change. Listen, you don't have to include that. <laughs> but it's like, it's helpful because people like support you and like want to see you succeed. What do you say will be some common misconceptions that people have about producers? People don't know what a producer does. Right. And so my family, like when I go home, <laughs> they be like, so what are you doing? How do you make a living? <laughs> yeah. I was like, how do you get paid off doing this? Yeah, I think the, the only thing that people like the only misconception is people are think I'm like the money person and I'm like oh no I don't even deal with money at all because like I don't know how to get financing I know people that do and so that's what producers are it's like I know where to get the money I know oh he's a I know this guy who started this business and he's a billionaire he might be willing to invest you know what I mean so it's like I don't have the money but I know where to get it um, and you should never invest your own money in film anyway if you're a producer. Do you have any pet peeves in production and producing? I hate lazy people, like on set. I'll never forget this PA. <laughs> I was shooting a short and he was asleep on set. What? And so I kicked him off. You kicked like, him off? Why are you asleep? <laughs> like, come back tomorrow. Yeah, it's like, obviously, tomorrow. yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I just hate people that are unprofessional. That's like a huge pet peeve of mine. Wow, you was sleep on set. Uh huh. Wow. On the couch in front of everybody, and I was like, "Oh, it's time for you to go, buddy." Not now, but right now. Yeah. Uh, I think that's like a major pet peeve. It's like lazy. I also don't like arrogant people. That's a huge pet peeve. It's like no one wants to work for you. I also, you know what? <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. Okay. When people are like oblivious to their flaws, does that make sense? Uh, how so? They're not. Uh... So, like, if I'm a director mm-hmm. and I'm terrible at communicating because all my ideas are in my head. Uh, I see. I don't like if I if I'm a producer and I tell you you need to get those ideas out your head. Talk to me. Let's communicate about it. But the director doesn't see anything wrong with their behavior self-awareness yes like oh my god if you're oblivious to what i'm telling you and you don't want to see it that's a problem can you give me like some insight of like how you see people fail in this profession and as producers and um, some mistakes that you have learned from as you continue to cultivate your production skill set uh i mean People fail every day. Like yes. we're in LA. People get shot every day in the hood. Every son. day, son. <laughs> but it's like we're in LA, and it's like I know a lot of people that have moved here from Chicago, and they announce it like, "Yes, I'm in LA." You see them at Brian, you know, with the Hollywood sign, mm-hmm. and then next month they silently move back home, you know, because yeah. it's it's hard. Some common mistakes. Yeah, that's a good. A lot of people get caught up in the Hollywood life. My homie Allen said, he said, never forget why you came out to LA. That's and, so smart. And that's I smart. feel like, I, I put like this analogy, like when I moved out here, like I saw how people could get caught up in Hollywood, like trying to keep up. Because I know, like, if I'm going to the club and I'm, if I'm at the club with some people who are well off and they're, you know, famous or whatever. And if they was like, Emil, can you pick up this bill for tonight? <laughs> that would like change my whole world. Like that would like be devastating for me to pick up a bill that they won't think nothing about. Like, oh yeah, I just spend 30000 on this. Yeah, one night. One, one night, night is nothing. And I, and I was like, well, that's what people make. Some people make in a year. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, you should never. I think that's what hurts people when they come out here. Because I've been out here. This is my third year. And like. People be like, dang, you you doing it? You still out here? And I'm like, yeah, because I went on at Hollywood. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't trying to buy a luxury car. I wasn't on the scene like that. Like, I really was like about. So it's like it's not as easy as you think. Just being here is a great step, but it is not the only step. Yeah, and I also think a, a big mistake that ties into that mm-hmm. is people will write you off. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so if they can't, if they don't see where they can get something from you right now, then they write you off. And it's like, oh, you, what you doing? Like, and that's, I hate when I go to like networking events. First of all, I hate networking events. Second of all, if I do go to one and I'm bamboozled into going to one, yeah, people will say, you know, oh, hey, my name is so-and-so. What do you do? Yes. Like, don't worry about what I do. Let's have a conversation human to human, you know? And so if people don't get that they can get something from you right away that can advance them, then they'll write you off. And it's like, that's a huge mistake, buddy, because you, you don't, don't know. know who they know. And my thing is, like, you don't know who I am. Like, yes. you don't know who I am. You don't know who I know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even though if I'm a producer or like, say, yeah, if I'm a producer and you're an actor and, and I don't have a project right now and you write me off, you don't know how many projects I have in development. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, you got to. But that's that, honey. I'll say more often than not, I experienced the, the better part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, like, in New York was really good for that because I would be in New York and, like, I was at a cookout and I just, like, was chopping it up and we were just talking about whatever. And it was like, oh, yeah, actually, I have this, uh, I'm, I'm, I wrote this show that's on Broadway. Yeah. And then I ended up doing some work with her and we were just chopping it up for hours and we didn't know who, who each other that's was. That's my favorite way to meet people. So I, was I like, like oh, this you. Is cool. If I like you, mm-hmm. then we can possibly work together. You yes. know what I mean? Like, it's always that potential. Yeah. But I have to like you. And even if I don't want to work with you, like, because sometimes you have good friends that you may not want to work with. Right. And that's fine. Right. Because, you know, that's life. But I have a Rolodex. You know what I mean? So it's like, bro, here go these 15 <laughs> projects for you to go work on. Now, you mentioned that you didn't like people really on social media. <laughs> but how do you... How do you recognize or acknowledge fans of your work? Do you do you like go back and forth in comments with people, or do you like engage with with them with like between two sisters or a black Twitter date? On my page, I do. Okay. Um, just because my page is my friends and family, mm-hmm. um, which is like sort of impressive. Like my Facebook, like I'm not super popping on Facebook because it's literally people everybody. You know. Yeah, it's yeah. all people I know. Um, so I try to engage with them for sure, but, uh, on a main blabbity page or like any other. Like on YouTube and then, um. No, and you know what? They be leaving comments and I need to do better. Well, what are some of your sources of motivation and inspiration? What is your motivation? What inspires you to do the certain projects that you do? It's my family. I work so hard and like people... This is something I never realized, but people tell me I'm really hard on myself. Mm. And I never Because you're a Virgo like me. Yeah, right. and like yeah. I never paid attention to that. I've never paid attention to that. But in the past year, this past year, I've met random people. They're like, why are you so hard on yourself? And I'm like, I just want to be successful. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like I work so hard because like I want to put my family on. And like I want to be able to buy my mom a house, you know what I mean? And she deserves a luxury car. And it's like, these are material things, yeah. but it's also like, she's sacrificed so much that I just want her to be comfortable. Right. Um. And so that's like my main motivation, but also like I'm inspired by life. Like every day when I see these kids on the South side of Chicago, I want to be able to give back. And so that's my second main thing is like, I can't get back if I'm not in a position to get back. Like, if I'm struggling, I don't know how to give give of myself. Right. You won't have the resources to right. contribute. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's other ways because I don't think everybody that mentors or gives back is successful mm-hmm. or, or their level of success that they wanted to attain. But I think that that's like motivation for me to like kick ass now so that I can give back. The sooner I can get back, you know. Yeah. Now, do you have an experience that you can share that, like, that you really struggled on a project, you doubted yourself, and you were like, oh, I'm moving back to Chicago, forget being a producer, and all that. Did you have that experience? Yeah. yeah. Like, so, so I mentioned it earlier, sort of, like, glazed over it. Right. You, but, you, like, USC. Yeah, yeah. When I, my first semester at USC was so hard. And it wasn't like the culture shock. It wasn't, it was just that I literally did not feel worthy. Like I didn't feel good enough. Wow. Um, I'm about to cry. Oh, <laughs> no, but it was like, I didn't feel good enough because 
if you come from an environment where everybody's super supportive, it definitely made me it, like I I got thick skin because of it. Mm -hmm. But they were basically they literally told me like, no, that story is not doable. That story is not makeable. And I'm like, I got I know ten thousand people that would want to watch this film. Yeah. Like I literally know these people. You know what I mean? And it's like, how are you telling me? And so basically, what you're telling me is that I'm not good enough. Mm. And that my stories don't deserve to be told. Stories don't deserve to be told. Yeah. That's and crazy, that's, yeah. that was so difficult and like such a tough pill to swallow. Right. But it's like eye opening because it's like those are, there are real people in this world that are like, I don't want to see a black woman on screen. You know, and it's like, all right, cool. Change the channel. You know? Yeah. So, um, so what, what kept you? What kept you motivated going? I mean, your family, thinking about your family. Literally. So, li so I went home that summer and I worked at my old job, um, which is amazing because it's like I get to work with young people in Chicago that are on the south side. And I think it wasn't that year. The year after that, it was like there's a lot of violence and stuff in Chicago going on. But when I go home, I feel comfortable. Like, I don't know these shooters in these streets yeah. anymore. You right. know what I mean? Like, all my people are old. You know what I'm saying? They like either in jail or like got kids now. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, so they right. need to calm down. Yeah, so yeah. it's like these kids out here is like the wild, wild west. I got to work with them. And I'm like, bro, y'all need to calm down. And it was like, it's good to like see like me making an impact. Mm -hmm. And like my mom was like, Ashley, you started. Like you got a semester on the other at the number one film school in the world. You paid your money. Yes. You got this loan money. Yes. Sure, you need to go ahead and finish. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. And yeah. so that's how that's how it happened. Working with women in film organization. Uh huh. Like how was that? Cause it, um, how long has it been around? Uh, forty three years. Okay. So yeah. that's really dope that there's a dedicated film organization specifically for women. Yeah, it's super dope. Yeah. We out here making them all. Pun intended. <laughs> Pun intended. All right, so what I'm about to do real quick is I'm about to play a, a song. Oh, my God. Yeah, name that tune, and I don't see. Is it only one song? Because I don't do music. Hold up, man. I listen to silence in my <laughs> You listen to silence in <laughs> your I'm going to play a track, and then I don't see if you can guess who it is. You ready? Yes. Tupac. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Fucking up. Hey, 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 you know, that should have a play one of them Chicago tracks for you. But you say you don't, you're not into music like that, though. Like, I listen to it. What do you listen to now? Ratchet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you listen to Migos? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, all the Ratchet music I'm into right now. But in my car, I listen to Silence. Because, like, LA radio sucks ass. What about um, K-Day? Oh, but you're younger than me, so. No, I listen to K-Day, but they be playing the same songs over and over. If really? I hear Today Was a Good Day, another time. Oh, uh, okay. Because oh, I guess, yeah. you know, I don't drive, so. It's the same. They play Because the when I'm in the Uber, I'm like, oh, they playing? But I guess they play it. Yeah, they over. play it. Oh, it's okay. in rotation. Got it, got it. And then the other two stations, they play the same. It's like one play, one play it, then the next play it, then they play it. And what's the last movie you saw in the, in the theater? Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Yes. Review okay. coming out. This Friday. I don't know when you're releasing this. I know, right? <laughs> Just make sure y'all check out Between Two Sisters and y'all can see all the reviews. Yeah. Well, and what's also dope about Between Two Sisters is that it, it, it's kind of like an encyclopedic online video thing. So 10 years from now, unless someone's trying to decide on a movie to see, they better holler. They, they could just go and look, huh? Oh, there's a review on it. So I yeah. think that's, that's dope because it's like it'll be there. Uh, do you have any a memorable article, book, YouTube clip, or something that you discovered recently that you want that you shared with other people or wanted to share? You know what? I just read the short and tragic life of Robert Peace. Really? Have you read it? Nah, but that title oh my is God, like really... it's so good. So it's about this dude. He's from Newark 
or he's from like East Orange. Mm-hmm. He was went to school. He was like gifted, just a very talented young man. Ended up going to private school. His mother worked really hard. His father ended up going to jail for a crime that we don't even know if he committed or not. Mm-hmm. So his life was just like shaken up. Got into Yale. Went to Yale. Graduated from Yale. Um, but he started selling drugs at Yale, and then went back home. Continued to sell drugs, ended up getting killed. What? Wow. What? I'm like, that's easily my story. That's easily any of my friends' stories. Wow. Like, that's like real life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's option to be made into a movie, but it was like Wow. Love. I like, yeah, it was really good. And I don't know if it was good because it was well written Uh or if it was good because I just related to the story. And like the way the the way that Robert was written gives you insight to him as like a person. That's like I know him. Like I know guys like him. I that's me. You know what I mean? It was yeah, just great. Very relatable. So yeah. Is there like do you have a dream project that you want to do? Like if someone was like, "Here's hundred million dollars, make a make a movie." I or, or do you not want to say because you don't want nobody to take your idea? Yeah, don't be stealing my idea. That's the problem. No, I mean, I have dream, like, big dream projects. Yeah. Um, But more than anything, I want to be able to enable other filmmakers to make great stuff. So I think that as a producer, I have good taste. <laughs> humble, Obviously. Humble brag. Obviously. And so, like, I want people with good ideas to come to me and say, hey, I want to make this movie. And then someone with the hundred million dollars to say, "Here's a hundred million dollars to go and make this good movie." Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm at right now. What is a little known fact about you that people will be surprised to know? I went to nail school. Really? Yeah. So I studied like nail technology, like learn how to polish nails and do acrylic, do them ghetto nails, three D art, <laughs> all that stuff. Holla at me if you need your nails done. Yeah. So I think that's different too. What is some advice that you would have liked to receive before you started down your career path? Like if you could go back it's and, give it, and get, it's hard. Yeah. Mm. Um. Everybody is. Everybody don't believe in what the stories that you want to tell. Mm. But if it means something to you, then you keep doing it. I was told this, like my family tells me this all the time, is like trusting the timing of your life. You can't compare. Like, yeah. what happens in my life is not the same thing that happens in your life. It's not the same thing that happened in my mom's life. You know what I mean? So it's like the timing. Some people can be successful and be millionaires at 22. And it's like, oh, you're like 48 and you're still not a millionaire. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's disheartening, but it's like at the same time, that's not the timing that was supposed to happen for your life. That's not your path. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you have a quote? that you really love or live by? That's one quote. So here's the problem. I don't be know who be saying this stuff. That's fine. <laughs> as long as the words resonate. Um. Sometimes God puts a Goliath in your path so you can find a David within you. That's deep, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then there's another one where it's like, you know, 10 years from now, I hope that I can say I chose my life versus I settled for it. That's another good one. That's yeah, good one. yeah, I'm yeah, out yeah. here deep, boy. Because I'll be thinking my stuff, and it's like, I'm about to redecorate my room to like have inspirational quotes because it's just like, mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. There's this other one that's like, you know, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've really been planted. Mm. You better you better turn off yes, those quotes. I got, a, turn I off got a word folks. tonight. The word is on my heart. Let me share it with Man, you. You're going to have me up there singing <laughs> Negro Spiritism in this joint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are really special things to me. Like quotes that I live by for real. Every day. Yeah, that's really dope. And you know, so, something that you just made me think of was you're talking about people not believing in your movies and stuff. I was watching one of these John Singleton. John Singleton did a like a keynote or something. I think it was actually with Film Independent or something like that. And he said when he was at USC, they was like, no one cares about your little movie. And he said that stuck with him because he was like, I'm going to make y'all care about it. And I actually met John Singleton 
randomly at this art show like last month and I was like, yo, I saw your speech and you said no one cares about your little movie and I just it just like stuck with me and I was like I was like that's that's crazy cuz even you gave an experience where you're talking about like they didn't think that your stories were worth it. Can I tell you something about him? Yeah. Well, I don't know how like I don't know if it's personal or not. Mm-hmm. But like in his office. So we I was selected to do a PSA for Mayor Eric Garcetti. John Singleton was like the mentor for it. And you're stunting on stunting on me right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I actually got louder. I actually No, I didn't. Set up. So PSA. He the mayor. This was like when Eric Garcetti was running. And okay. so he like me and this other guy were selected. John Singleton was like Uncle John Singleton that day. He took us around. We went all around the Merck Park, which is where I live now. So I know my way around the area. He took us to Esawan Books. Like, just like a lot of different places. And his his office is over there. And in his office, he had um, script coverage from Boys in the Hood. And like, from one one person that wrote coverage and said, this is a terrible script. No one would ever make it. Wow. Why are you telling a story? Wow. And then the other one was coverage from someone who's like, this is a great story. It was amazing. We got to make it. Wow. And they made it. And and success. You know what I mean? So wow. it's just like wow. he has those two pieces of coverage framed on his wall. Wow. And I'm like, so- I mean, I hope that, that I can share that information. Like he didn't say it was private or anything, <laughs> but it's like. That was truly inspirational to me because it's like, this is John Singleton. Like, this is somebody who we base our rating system off of on Between Two Sisters, where it's like, this is a, an important film of our time, and we love it, right. and he's a great filmmaker. What societal norm do you think is, like, stupid or weird and which wasn't the norm? Do you have anything? White men. <laughs> White men ruling the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, white people, white men be like... Colonialism, mindset, imperialist mindsets, racism yeah. in, in general. I'm not about that life. Yeah. That's like a societal norm that I wish wasn't the norm. Yeah, it's crazy. They, be, they get so, they have so much privilege. It's like, you don't even know. You don't even know. Do you have any future announcements about these things that we should look out for that you're working on? 2017 just started, so it's like... Ah, 2017, my year is my year. My new year starts in February. Okay. I'm finishing up my short that I shot last year. Oh, right, That I directed. So it's in post right now. It's in post. So, congrats. Super excited to do the festival thing Mm -hmm. this year. The other film that I did for Project Evolve is we're doing festivals. What's those? Uh... You're doing festivals with those films. Between Two Sisters, watch every Friday, 1 o'clock on Blavity's Facebook. I don't know. It's a good... I feel so excited about this shit. Like, last yeah. year, I was like, eh. Other than Trump being about to be in office, then I'm like, really... I'm really excited about this year. So, working on a feature. Working on two features, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, working on a couple of exciting short projects. So, we'll see. You guys keep an eye on Stay tuned. Stay locked. All right, so we're going to wrap it up with the Pivot Questionnaire. Oh, okay. The Pivot Questionnaire yes. from the French series and also uh, inside the Active Studio, James Lip. I wanted to use this in my podcast because I really like the questionnaire. I was like, man, if I'm never on there, I would still want to answer these. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you answer and, them yourself? I mean, yeah, I, I have. But I'm, I think... As this podcast goes along, we'll have someone interview me. Yeah. And I'm just like going to, you know, put myself under the... You, you know, need the it. Let me interview you. I just want to ask you these questions, but somebody else can interview you. should have everybody interview you. What? And then, yeah, everybody <laughs> ask one question. Hey, I don't think... I don't know. Don't, I don't be got, a hater on my idea. I don't got enough space. My, my mic don't work. Oh. I don't know how to do that. Oh, okay. Nah, I don't know. But that is a kind of interesting idea. I, I don't know who will all come. Maybe it'll be like a maybe like a little party or something. Everybody, everybody be in here. I know they. Would. You know everybody. You popping in these streets, popping. All right, all right. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. That's enough.
All right, you ready? Pivot yes. questionnaire. Are these like rapid fire or can no, I take questions? Yeah, time? you could take your you could take your time and explain. What okay, you. cool. Uh, what's your favorite word? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is weird. Okay. Yes. Yo, if y'all ever have the privilege to meet Ashley, know that she's going to say that you're weird. No. Is no. you have about a ninety nine point nine percent of being called weird. It's like seventy four percent. I'll give you seventy five. Okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> What's your least favorite word? No. What turns you on create creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Vulnerability, like the ability to like be completely yourself with someone. Yeah. I think that's such, that's like. Such a turn on. It's like creatively, you have to be vulnerable. You have to like put yourself out there, and it's it's so hard. But it's like when you are able to do that, it's like a good thing. And it's like emotionally, romantically, whatever. Just vulnerability. It's like a big thing. And it's like as an artist, yes, a lot of like comedians and stuff. Like their comedy comes from pain. Mm-hmm. And it's like I the film that I just made is like it's like a painful story, but it's funny. Right? Because that's my that's how I deal with stuff. But until I was able to like be able to tell the story, I wasn't a real artist, I feel like. And I think that until you can be one hundred percent yourself, you're not yourself. I think that's very true because also because if if you're vulnerable, that that's coming from the heart. Yeah. And if you speak from your heart, you're gonna hit other people in their heart. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times by you being vulnerable and sharing your stories there's someone else who went through the same thing. So you're like relating to more people and inspiring more people. Right. So, all right now, vulnerability. Hey. All right, what turns you off? Arrogance. I hate arrogance. Oh my God. It's the worst. Bro, what? Wit. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Shit. What sound or noise do you love? Like, what do you mean? That's an ink black question, you know? <laughs> I love, love, love the sound of the ocean. Mm, I love lot. it. Like, Good. I can sleep on it. Like, I've slept on the beach. Like, I love it so much. Okay. What uh, sound or noise do you hate? You know what I really hate? When it rains outside and your shoe and you're driving somewhere and your shoes slip on the mat. And it's like that squeaky noise from like the drive from the brake to the drive. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking when about. When you like driving and then you move to brake and your shoe is wet, I hate that noise. Wow, that is so detailed. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I was like, what noise do I hate? I hate that noise. It's I people, hate it. It's people who take the train all their life. Like, what is she talking about? What? <laughs> what is what? Also, the chalkboard, nail and chalkboard. Oh, okay. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I mean, I want to attempt to be a complete entrepreneur. Uh, I feel like producing has some entrepreneurial aspects to it, mm-hmm. but I want to be an entrepreneur, start a business, and like sell something or whatever. But I don't know what it is yet. But yeah, I want to try it. What profession would you definitely not like to do? I don't want to be a drug dealer. No more? No more. <laughs> I'm like, tried it. It ain't for me. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't want to do anything with the legal system. I don't want to, like, be a prison guard. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, any other profession I'd love to. And last question. If heaven exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome home, Shadi. All right. (laughs) I want him to say, job well done. Job well done. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Ashley, for coming and doing my little podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, I'm glad you came through. I'm getting getting more of the hang of this thing. I'm going to do a lot more. So I appreciate you for your time you know what they say time is currency so 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 we're (laughs) wrapping up thank you for listening to supercalifragilisticexpiatadopeshit that's such a great name thank you thank you thank you thank you
we're we're here. Um, make sure you check out superdopeshit.com and you can look at the the show notes from this episode and just get more ideas about you know what I do and my company and whatever. So you can check that out. So yeah, so I'm going to end it off by saying one of my favorite quotes, and it's by Pablo Picasso. It is. Only leave for tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone. Yes! Alright, so we out. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes to the podcast and uh, we in here. And we out. Raindrop, drop top, drop top, smoking on cooking the hot pot. Fucking on your bitch, yeah, that, that, that. Cooking the pop in the crock pot. We came from nothing to something, nigga. Don't try nobody grip the trigger. Nobody call up the gang and they come and get you. Call me your river, give you a tissue. Bad and bullshit, bad. Cooking up dope with a oozy. My niggas are savage, ruthless. We got thudders and hundred rounds too. My bitch is bad and bullshit, bad. Cooking up dope with a oozy. My niggas are savage, ruthless. We got thudders and hundred rounds too.